This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, Backheel.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Here are your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti. It's, it's a week, week off for the team is funny. Because you know we we we're committed to coming with you with great Red Bulls news and information every week, and without a match, it certainly changes the nature. We're being we're being flexible in our lineup, as most most good coaches must be. And so tonight on Seeing Red, we're going to give a little news, a little information. We're going to preview the Red Bulls next match this Friday night at Gillette Stadium. We're going to talk to Anthony Merced. For a little bit of farm report, our Red Bulls 2 reporter, who will give everything uh, in terms of the Red Bull 2 first match of the season, a 2-2 draw with Toronto. And then we'll bring in old friend Hank Alexander from the Midnight Ride podcast, who covers the Revs every week, for a Know Your Opponent segment. So it'll be a little bit of a different setup. Uh, tonight, it's actually Tuesday night, and as we record the show, the U.S. men are playing Guatemala uh, in Columbus. So if we if we get distracted... For a little a little sec, you, you'll understand. Clint Dempsey has just scored to put the U.S. one nothing. Eric, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing a lot better now that we're uh, we're up and running. But we'll, we'll we'll try to keep it focused. We'll try to be professional for you, the fans. Yes, very professional. So back at practice today, chilly day in suburban New Jersey. Uh, what Red Bulls fans want to know, I think first and foremost, is injury status on our hamstrung trio. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's. Basically more of the same. Uh, as I said last week, uh, Marsh revealed that it was week to week for all three of them. Uh, it seems to continue to be the case. Uh, none of the guys are going to be ready for this upcoming trip to New England. So w- with them playing on Friday, uh, Ronald Zubar, I think, would be the closest one to coming back. Uh, but he's not quite ready yet. Uh, I'd say then would probably be Ba and Verone. Uh, I'd say it's probably the farthest away from coming back. Uh, but none of them are going to be ready, especially when you consider they'll be playing on that turf, which is dreadful. So you're never going to want to bring someone back yeah. from injury and have that be their first game because that's just asking for a problem. And you could even see uh, Jesse lamenting the fact that he did bring back uh, Gonzalo Verone into that game against Houston. And I, I feel like he's taking a lot of that burden on himself in terms of the fact that he got re-injured. Uh, I think maybe he's reconsidering that he rushed him back. Uh, and he, he mentioned a lot about trying to really identify what it is that's causing this because, as, as, as we've talked about, three hamstring injuries in one game is kind of unheard of. So what, what caused that, how they can prevent it, whether it's you know, more yoga, the proper stretching you know, before the game or during training, whatever it is, I think they're really trying to key in on that and, and try to figure it out because it's becoming a recurring problem that needs to be sorted. Yeah, it definitely is. And listen, if there's anyone that can focus the team forward and not back, it's going to be Jesse Marsh. This is what he does. So did he offer any hint in what you were talking about of what um, what a possible backline pairing might be? I know it's, it's certainly early in the week. We know that last week Dax offered his services to combine with Connor Laid on the smallest potential backline ever, but I'm just kind of curious uh, if he's played his hand a little bit in terms of who we might be able to see on Friday. Well, I mean, I, just from being at practice, I did notice the way that they were, you know, lined up in formations and, and certain personnel. It changed a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I think Jesse would probably have my tongue if, he were, if I were to release just exactly who was playing in the back line. Uh, but it, it has been changing a little bit. Obviously, there's, there's missing, uh, you know, Carl we met and Kamar Lawrence are still away with the national team, so uh, they weren't able to get back into the fold. So 
to say this defense is makeshift, I think, is pretty apropos, uh, considering how many pieces have to be shuffled in. Uh, when you're looking at candidates at center back, I mean, you'd, you'd think Zach Carroll is probably a candidate, considering he made the bench for Montreal when Ronald Zubar was suspended. Uh, then, of course, you have the likes of, of Chris Duval, who really hasn't, uh, hasn't nope. had any minutes in 2016, right. really hasn't played at all since that injury against the Cosmos in the Open Cup last year. So... Maybe someone like a Chris Duval gets into the lineup. Uh, you'd have to think a Connor Lane, a proven veteran, will, will probably slot in at some point. But that, the, the kind of the question mark, I think, for me and for, for Red Bulls fans everywhere is whether or not Kamar Lawrence and Carl Wiemet will come back from international duty. Will they be ready to go? Uh, I, I think if you're looking at one of the two, I'd say probably Carl Wiemet would be the fresher of the two, considering he didn't play uh, in Vancouver against Mexico. I don't believe he's scheduled to start. Uh, against them tonight in Mexico City. So if, if he's going to come back, he might be the option to slot into the center of the fence. Obviously, he'd be first choice with the players available. Kamar Lawrence, I'm not sure if he'll be fit, considering he's you know one of the key pieces for that Jamaica side, and he'll probably be coming back with some heavy legs. No, for sure. Of course, if Wemet does play tonight in Mexico City at the Azteca, I mean, you talk about it as energy-sapping a venue as almost anywhere on the planet where you've, you're, you're playing at altitude in, in Mexico City smog. But as you said, he's not currently s- slotted to play in a match that, I mean, you know, Canada lost 3 nothing in Vancouver. I, I, tonight could get really, really ugly uh, for the Canadians. So um, the opponent this week for the Red Bulls, as we mentioned, the New England Revolution, who have started in a very, very strange way. Um, they're 0, 1, and 3 so far on the young season. Played four times. They had a terrific last-minute winner against uh, Houston, who, which, of course, New York was able to, to tackle last week for their own uh, the lone win. A 3-3 draw on opening, mat, uh, opening night. Then kind of a crazy, scary, uh, scoreless draw uh, up at Gillette. Then the Revolution went to Philly and got blown out 3-0 which I think raised eyebrows as much for Philly's win as it was for New England's loss. And then last Friday night, they played in the Bronx and had a 1-1 draw with New York City. Gerson Kofi, their new acquisition from Vancouver in the midfield, had a red card in that match, and obviously he will miss Friday night's game. Um, The Revs are really interesting in the sense that they also did not change a whole lot. In, in the offseason, very, very similar to the Red Bulls. They are certainly not the same Revs without Jermaine Jones. It was a very, very publicized salary dispute with, with Rev ownership during the offseason, and New England shuffled him off to Colorado to play with his new best friend, Timmy Howard, although he is still sitting out his six-game suspension that he picked up in the playoffs. Um, against, the Re- against New York City last week, here's who the Revs threw out. Uh, Bobby Shuttleworth in goal with the um, awesome Euro flap uh, hair. Chris Tierney, Jose Gonsalves, Andrew Farrell, uh, and London Woodbury in the back, one of the best names in MLS. Kofi and Scott Caldwell, homegrown player who um, has been there for a very long time. Of course, Kofi got the red card. Uh, Diego Fagundes, Kellen Rowe was playing in the number 10 spot that usually goes to Lee Wynn. Noted as we watch the U.S. and Guatemala play live as we record, Wynn did not obviously see the field in Guatemala and may not as well. So he should be back and fresh um, 
Assuming he doesn't get in this match, Teal Bunbury, he of the big goal in the uh, in the 2013 playoff series with uh, with the Revs, and Juan Agadello, former Metro up top, who has yet to I think the story of his career, and he is no longer such such a young player. Um, yet to really find a groove as a consistent player, although he is known to unleash a ridiculously skillful goal, as he did in the playoffs last year against D.C. Um, The team is a known quantity. We know these players. These are players that have all been with New England for a long time. The team did go out and sign a DP to replace Jermaine Jones, and I guess in true Revs fashion, when you've lost five MLS, MLS Cups in your team's career, you expect things Things like this to happen. The team did sign Xavier Kuasi um, after his contract with Swiss club Scion expires at the end of this European season. Um, he is an attacking mid, and then on February 8th, he blew out his knee, and so the Revs are expecting him in the summer, and it will be six to nine months of rehab for him before he can even play, which would make it very late in the season before he makes his debut for New York, uh, for New England, excuse me. Obviously, uh, Charlie Davies is on this team and does score against the Red Bulls, but you know this is a team that will also kind of be missing key pieces, uh, especially Kofi, who they have very very high hopes for. So it'll be interesting to see just what happens on Friday night in Foxborough. Yeah, I think, as always, it's going to be a tough test for the Red Bulls. Whenever they go uh, up to Boston and, and try to play on that, that terrible turf in Gillette, it just never really seems to go their way, whether it's a, a bad bounce off the turf or, you know, Charlie Davies, as you mentioned, is getting on the end of a cross and, and nodding one home. It, it's always a, a battle when it comes to the Revolution. I think it's going to be the case again, uh, even though, as you mentioned, they'll be missing uh, a key piece in Gershon Kofi in the midfield. Uh, they'll they'll have a, a good player to replace him. I think in Daigo Kobayashi, who's uh, has some experience, has done well in past years. Uh, but the Red Bulls are going to be shorthanded as well, and as we we alluded to with the injuries, uh, they're going to have a, a very makeshift back line. So for a team that's conceded eight goals in three games, they're going to have to figure it out quickly because their job isn't going to get any easier. I know that this Revs team is is struggling in the offensive third, uh, but they definitely have the firepower when you look at Agadello and Teal Bunbury, Diego Fagundes. They're going to get Lee Wynn back from national team duty. I mean, this is a very potent attacking team, and, you know, poor Luis Robles is probably going to be fielding a lot of shots, <laughs> I have a feeling, uh, when you have, you know, a, a makeshift center-back tandem or what have you all along the back line. So it, it could be a long one, but it, it, I think it'll be a good game. Yeah, New York traditionally, of course, has not done terribly well. They did break that 12-match losing streak last season at New England. Um you know, and this is just one of a stretch of games against tough opponents. We talked about it last week. They go to New England in known quantity. They're, they're, they've got to get those players back and healthy. Then they return Saturday, April 9th against Kansas City, undefeated so far on the season. And then the two-match Western road trip at San Jose and at Colorado. And that will be Jermaine Jones' first match with the Colorado Rapids. So... I mean, you think about where the points are going to come over the next few games, um, and you have to think, given the makeshift nature of the back line, it's going to be a real, real challenge uh, for New York to go up there and expect uh, three points. As always, it's, it's always, like I said, it's a struggle to get three points up there, but as you just said, it's it's kind of... 
I wouldn't say necessary. It's not a must win by any means, but they're going to be going out there for the three points. Make no mistake. They're not going to sit there and bunker in even with that, that defense that's so, you know, shaky right now with all this missing pieces. They're not going to just sit there and try to bunker in and earn a point. They'll be going there for the three points. And I spoke to Dax McCarty at training today, a very frank Dax McCarty that said, look, we're not making any excuses. We just haven't been good enough, period. Giving up eight goals through three games isn't good enough. And it's not just down uh, to the back four. It's all of us. We all need to do more defensively. You know, all 11 players need to learn how to press together and move with the ball, not let ourselves so exposed, and cut out the individual mistakes. Because if you look back at the goals that the Red Bulls have given up, especially oh, horrible against mistakes. Houston, I mean, horrible. you don't, you don't want to pick out anybody, but you look at Kamar Lawrence missing on a clearance, Ronald Zubar missing on a clearance. I mean, these are silly individual mistakes that could easily be fixed. And, you know, the Red Bulls' goals conceded would probably be cut in half if you're just looking at, you know, small individual mistakes in and of themselves. So if they can cut down on that, I think they'll, they'll be fine, but it's much easier said than done. All right, so let's, uh, let's go right to prediction. It's, it's Friday night on Unimas at uh, Siete PM, and um, so you, you can have Red Bulls radio. Eric will be helping to call the game along with Matt Harmon. You can sync. You can turn on your TV screen and play a little bit with your tune-in app or with your desktop or other mobile device to get the game in, and you can kind of slide the slider to make sure you're all synced up. And so I guess w- w- prediction time, what, what do you think is going to happen Friday night in New England? Well, we, we talked about New England struggling uh, offensively, but I, I think they'll manage to get some goals. But at the same time, the Red Bulls' attack is still largely intact, whether it's Lloyd Sam, Mike Grella, Bradley Wright Phillips, Sasha Kleschen. These are the names we've all come to know to see in March's 11. So I think it'll be a, a 2-2 match. It'll be a highly entertaining match. You never know what to expect in New England, but I think 2-2 might be a fair result. Hmm. I think given uh, the fact that the team will be playing in a place that they traditionally do not do terribly well. Um, I think the fact that there's so much uh, lacking from the the back line in terms of experience and first team members, I, I don't see New York coming out with a victory. I think they're going to tighten things up a little bit. Uh, I think two one New England is going to be. This is my, my my first prediction of a loss for the season. And uh, you know, so far we've been decent on our predictions. We haven't been uh, yeah, Martinez like in terms of our predictions. So uh, we'll we'll keep to that. In terms of Red Bulls history. New York is five twenty three and nine all time in at New England, including all matches. It's not a place that they traditionally do well in terms of leading scores. The leading scorer against the Revs is Amado Guevara, with uh, with six goals all time. Bradley Wright Phillips uh, predictably has four. When we're back on seeing red, we will go inside Red Bulls two with the USL and Red Bulls beat writer for Empire of Soccer, that's Anthony Merced. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. You know, when I, back in the days growing up being a baseball fan, um, there used to be a farm report on the radio during Mets games, because I'm a Mets fan, and we would hear all about the teams in the Mets, and I would imagine every every baseball team does this, down in the minor league systems, players to be made aware of. So we thought this season, you know, it's the second season of the Red Bulls 2, we could have our own version of Farm Report, although in this case the farm is right in the same farm. It's right in the middle of the Red Bull arena pitch. And here tonight to talk about the Red Bulls 2, and we hope to bring him on on a monthly basis, to talk about the team 
is Anthony Merced, who is a beat writer for the USL and New York Red Bulls 2 on Empire Soccer, which is a fine, fine soccer site. Anthony, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're, we're very, very happy that you could join us. Um, why don't you take us through that 2-2 opening day draw with TFC and talk about just in general broad strokes about what you saw, who impressed, who maybe needs some work. Yeah, it was um, it was an interesting game. Most of the time people like to say things like uh, a team didn't deserve to be down two rolls at a half. And I normally never buy that um, because I'm always like, well, you're down 2-0. You deserve to be down 2-0. But really, for the first time ever, like this team, the Red Bull 2 team, really did not deserve to be down 2 nothing at the half. They played uh, what I thought anyway was a fantastic, for the most part, first half. They controlled the ball. They, uh, they, they dominated. They dominated possession. They had the better scoring opportunities. And then all of a sudden, Toronto just found a way to make it work. And so, um, they, for the most part, they tried balls over the top. Um, Tim Small was just on top of everything that came his way. And then they got a few set pieces, and it seemed like they were able to break them down a bit. And they scored two really quick goals. And even uh, afterwards, uh, speaking with John Lomick, um, he even he was surprised and like somewhat deflated by that. But the team responded in the second half. Brandon Allen had the final touch that I think Red Bull 2 strikers from 2015 and now in, in 2016 really, really needed, just taking advantage of opportunities. And they were able to pull out a draw. Really, it, um, it, it, it's, it's almost, it is still deflating because they played so well, you wanted them to get the win. But at this time last year, they did the exact same thing against Rochester. So they're off to pretty much the same start. Anthony, I'm just curious as, uh, as to your thoughts on the construct of this Red Bulls 2 roster, because if you look at the roster right now, you know, when you look at the players that are under contract, I believe it's only eight players, uh, you know, whether you have you Stefano Bonomo, they recently signed Vincent Bezacourt, a couple others. Uh, what do you think of just the way that this roster is constructed and the mechanism that obviously allows Red Bull players to go down to Red Bulls 2? Does it allow for uh, a cohesive unit to compete at the USL level? Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's, uh, that's in one of the, the big complaints that you hear a lot on message boards, um, and with fans, uh, of the USL, of USL independent teams, as I like to call them, uh, originals, um, that they say, well, these teams are development teams and they're, they're gonna be bad. And some of them are, I'm not gonna lie. Toronto is, unfortunately, I believe one of those teams that kind of walks that line of being <laughs> bad. Um, but Red Bull 2, I feel, is very much like the LA Galaxy 2, I mean, who went to the um, USL Championship game last year and came within probably seconds of beating the Rochester Rhinos. Um, they, they're competitive, uh, and the team wants to be competitive. The players want to be competitive, because if the team wins and they perform well, they'll get either, you know, like you said, the baseball call-up, or they will impress somewhere else and be able to move on. So um, being competitive in the league helps them in the long run. And you, you've got a guy like John Wallenek who now is in his second season uh, coaching the club. Ibrahim Sagaya is there as well. We've heard previously when we had John on last season as he was getting going, he, just to kind of counter your point, I think he... Noted that winning is nice, but it's a almost a byproduct of the development of the young players. I mean, I don't know that his reason for being is to bring home a USL title. What do you think? No, no, it's definitely. I wouldn't. 
Okay, so this is kind of the 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 double talk a little bit. I think that um, he unfortunately has to do a little bit. He wants his team to win. Any coach that coaches uh, that's, that's on that <laughs> sideline wants their team to win. Any and any coach that says that is is I believe lying to you. He's he's very invested in these kids. He wants them to win. He wants them to play well. And um, but at the same time, he also realizes that he wants you know, he wants them to move on and be better. This isn't like. Uh, if he has a complete turnover next year because all of those guys got called up to MLS teams, I, I don't think he's going to think like his team was a failure because it, it, it had to recycle players the following year. I think that um, he, uh, if, if these guys go on, it's, it's, it's a success. And if you look at the, this season, um, look at the guys that are on Red Bull contracts right now, Red Bull MLS contracts. You're talking about Tyler Adams. That was a USL contract last year. Derek Etienne spent, like, had a cup of coffee in college and then came back, and now he's technically a Red Bull um, contract. I believe Brendan Allen is as well, so, like, which are guys that are uh, loaned down from the, um, from the MLS team. So they've already had a lot of that success. Also, Carl, um, some, loan, some guys who were loaned down last season, like Sean Davis and Carl Wiemet, who who performed incredibly well, and you're probably going to see very sparingly in the USL team just to get the minutes, but really they're they're going to they're they're going to be up up top with the with the MLS first team. And I, I know it's only one game uh, in, in the bag right now, uh, but just based on that game against Toronto, were any of the any of the guys stick out for you? Uh, I, from I only saw the second half, but it looked like Tim Schmoll had a pretty good game. Sean Davis looked pretty lively. Obviously Brandon Allen with the brace. Who stuck out for you in terms of uh, players to watch? It's almost impossible to watch this team and not say that Derek Etienne just stands out. I mean, the guy, he tight ropes the line so well. Uh, he, I, mean, I don't think he not made the guy, but he pretty, he pretty much made defenders look pretty silly. Granted, he's still very young. Um, and actually, uh, to talk about another guy, Tyler Adams, um, one, of, one of the other journalists at, uh, at Red Bull Arena, I was having a conversation with him about Tyler Adams, and he told me, you know, when you have a midfielder and you don't say anything about him, that means he was really good because he did his job well. And Tyler Adams was that. Um, he, he was playing a central defensive midfielder role, and then in the middle of the game, uh, they, needed, they needed more offense. They moved him out wide. John Mullen said after the game he, didn't want it, he doesn't want that, to make that a habit. But uh, he was able to transition and do both roles so incredibly well. That's a kid that if he were 20, 21, I think you would see him on the MLS roster right now. But I believe... He's 17, about to turn 18, if he hasn't turned 18 yet, which is insanity, and he makes me feel incredibly old. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's amazing what those guys have been able to do in such a short period of time. Just remember that this team was hobbled together very, very quickly last year, and I don't think any, anybody in the Red Bull organization will necessarily admit to that. But there was a lot of academy players and they moved very quickly to sign a lot of additional guys. Many of them are not with the team anymore um, this year. And uh, this year, I kind of feel you're, you're getting – they got a full preseason in. Um, they know what they want out of it. They know the kind of guys that they want to produce going forward. And so you're seeing, while they were very well organized last year, they feel even more organized this year. And those guys are getting the opportunities, specifically the guys that I mentioned, to be able to – show just how good they are, and they're fantastic. When you think about the USL in general, Anthony, obviously the team, the league rather, continues to add teams. I think they had added, what, seven or eight teams 
over the offseason as teams like Bethlehem Steel signed on, as Philadelphia's uh, USL team, uh, Swope Park Rangers, and then you had a couple of, or I guess the Rio Gran Toros, and it seems like when you think about the velocity in which the USL is growing, um, it's been apparent, certainly over this offseason. Talk to us a little bit about what you see as the destination of the league, the ambition of the league, and this kind of bifurcation where you have half the teams, and Eric alluded to, to it earlier, you have half the teams that are standalone, they, they maybe have an affiliation with MLS, they may not, but they're, they're in it to win it, and then you've got another bunch of teams that, you know, frankly, are there for youth development. So if you could just spend a little time on that. Sure. Um, it's... I, I, I can only I can only kind of say what they think their path is, and they believe that they're a Division Two side. However, what it what it looks like, um, they look to me like they're a kind of offshoot of minor league baseball in a sense, um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, a lot of times we throw around the term minor league in when we talk about American soccer, and it's got a very negative connotation to it. Um, you know, Cosmos fans don't like their fans, their, their team being called minor league or, or any, or anything like that. But the USL is positioning itself, I feel, in that, in that kind of way. And that's actually a very, very good thing. We need teams that are going to be, um, in small towns, whether they're owned by MLS teams or not. They're going to have very, um, niche followings, but they're places where players can go develop, um, whether young or even if it's older guys that are looking to stay in the game, maybe impart some knowledge on, on the younger guys coming up, and do it in almost a stress-free environment. I'm not trying to say that the USL is, um, is not competitive, but when you play a game and there's, I'll use one of the bigger teams, like 5,000 people, five, well, like not Sacramento, included, excluding them from, from the discussion, but like a 5,000-seat stadium attendance team, there's not necessarily the same stress level of producing that you have necessarily in Yankee Stadium for NYCFC. So these guys, um, they, they serve that purpose, and that purpose is very, very important to the development of, of U.S. soccer because um, we're seeing it in England now where um, a reserve team system is not helping produce young players, uh, or, so, or at least not helping them figure out where they want to play, what they want to do. And USL allows that to happen, um, much more so than necessarily some other leagues, because its express purpose for uh, for a majority is to let these guys play, and that's incredibly important to the growth of US soccer. I know that there is um, kind of a league mandate that each of these teams shift away from the high school stadiums or the minor league baseball stadiums to build minor league stadiums of their own. And you, you see it in, I mean, obviously Sacramento is playing in a refurbished stadium, and they yep. clearly have MLS intentions, but then you've got the Rio Grande team who announced along with the team that they will be building their own five to 7,000-seat stadium. Um, do you think that that's the right amount? Uh, for a, a USL team, especially when you've got special teams like uh, the guys in Sacramento that are drawing, what, o- over 10 a game. You had the glory days of Rochester. I know they yeah. have new ownership where they were drawing 12,000 fans a game. So I'm just kind of curious. I mean, a rising tide lift all boats, but I'm just kind of curious what the right scope and scale is. 
I think that's going to differ from team to team. Um, I actually had this conversation um, with this guy, I think you know him, Dave Martinez, um, about uh, Red Bull 2 and their stadium. Um, and, and what, yeah, <laughs> and what their stadium, what their stadium situation is going to be, um, where they could play. And one thing I mentioned to him was, um, if there was a division two level stadium within New York City that a team could play in, the New York Cosmos would probably already be playing there. Um, so it just shows you that in certain places, it's very difficult to put anything. Like New York City in general is impossible to build anything unless it's a high-rise these days. But um, it's, it's much easier in, in uh, developing communities is a, is, a, is a bad term. And what I mean by that is um, uh, communities that are, that are on the rise, that necessarily were architecture, and they're looking to expand. Um, and you're seeing that a lot more with certain teams. Like uh, Oklahoma City is a great example because now they, they got the energy and now they're getting uh, the, the Rayo Vallecano team in the NASL. Um, so each area is going to be very, very different. Sacramento, obviously, they, they have intentions of going to MLS, but they, that's not the same thing as Louisville City. Louisville City is, going to, is kind of a minor league town, and, and again, that's not meant as an insult because you know they have the they have a Louisville uh, t- a baseball team there as well, and that, and, and that's kind of the the way they develop. So. It's going to differ from place to place. So where Red Bull 2 ends up, I don't know, um, because they need a place that matches that B2 standard that USL is putting forward that they want to reach. I don't know where that happens. I know that it's incredibly expensive to turn the lights on at Red Bull Arena um, for 500, even and probably anything less than 10,000 people. So they're in a bit of a conundrum, but at the same time, the MLS team in Yankee Stadium is in that same conundrum. The, the New York Cosmos are in that conundrum. When, when you have a team in a major city, building is always going to be a big issue. That's why the Yankees and the Mets don't have, team, don't have minor league franchises in the, in the New York area. They're completely out, sometimes in, in certain cases in the middle of nowhere. Anthony, when you look at this roster, I know you mentioned uh, Derek Etienne, obviously, Mm -hmm. as as a difference maker on the team, and I I certainly agree with you there. But is there maybe a a newcomer or someone with maybe a little bit less experience at the USL level that that you think uh, can make some noise and even make the jump up to the MLS level? Ooh, making the jump up is is, is, a thing. I mean, it's it's only been one game, but Tim Small looked very, very good. Um, He did not let anything beat him in the air. And I think that currently uh, the Red Bulls, as you guys know, are probably going to be in need of some center back soon. So he's a guy to definitely keep an eye on. Anyone in the back line, I think that the Red Bulls in general are very overloaded with midfielders. And I don't know if guys like Tyler Adams and Dirk Etienne are necessarily going to be in line when you've got guys like Verone, Grella, Vizo, who I know he's been playing right back lately, but is technically probably best suited in the midfield. Whether or not you're going to get uh, you're going to you're going to get call ups from that area, and also just the striker role. Um, so you've got Brandon Allen, Stefan Obonomo, who has been fantastic, was fantastic in the short period of time he played last year. He looked really good on Saturday. The only issue with him is that he's got to start converting those opportunities. There was a moment where he got past Alex Bono and he stepped on the ball and it was behind him and he wasn't able to put it away. But he, you can see those moments there. And Anatole Bang is, a, is another example of that, who now is on the MLS roster because he was so good for a short period of time in the USL roster. 
So those are just a few of the guys that I could say offhand Red Bull will probably be looking at to bring up uh, in in their in the time window. Anthony Merced covers the USL and specifically the New York Red Bulls too every week at EmpireSoccer.com. Anthony, it was great having you. Perhaps you'll you, uh, we're, we're hoping you come back on a monthly basis and educate us on all things happening down on the farm. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. All right, we've got more Seeing Red coming at you after this short break. Thanks. You're listening to Seeing Red. For the first time in 2016, it's a Know Your Opponent segment on Seeing Red. We had Red Bulls 2. We had the news. We're not doing emails this week because there weren't any emails, and that's okay. When your team doesn't play, it's it's not a whole lot about the emails. If you do want those amazing Seeing Red stickers, though, you can write us at any time at seeingredny.gmail.com. Just send us your mailing address. We'll get them out to you after a few days. We're starting to see them pop up on social media, and we love it. Tonight, know your opponent. Our opponent this Friday night is the New England Revolution, uh, and here to break them all down is Hank Alexandra, who is the host of the Midnight Ride podcast about those there New England Revolution. How are you tonight, Hank? I'm excellent. Thrilled to be back on Seeing Red, Mark. And we are thrilled to have you. So, 0-1-3 isn't exactly a dream <laughs> start. Are the Rebs fans in full-on panic mode? You know, it's we shouldn't be, given the history of this team over the last few years. It's always been a rocky start for this team. Um, but, uh, you know, the way that they're playing, it makes you scratch your head why there aren't any uh, numbers in that W column. I think uh, the, the Revolution have come out and they've, they've played well on the field. They've maintained the possession. They've done everything except score, uh, unless you count the first game against Houston where they scored three times. Um, not to be outdone by the Red Bulls, who, of course, scored four times against Houston. We're not talking about us. We're talking yes, about okay, you. Yes, yeah. So I think, yes, panic is always uh, a factor in New England. It's just the way we are. <laughs> we just can't get over it. It's uh, it's something that we've, we've learned to live with, however, and I think, uh, you know, given time, this team will right itself. Hank, I'd actually agree with you. Just based on that, that NYCFC game last week, uh, I definitely think the Revs had the better of the chances even after the red card, uh, which leads me to my next question. Gershon Kofi getting sent off, that obviously creates a void in the midfield as he'll be suspended for this next matchup. Who do you think fills in there, and, and how do you think that'll change things for New England? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. Obviously, we have Daigo Kobayashi who can step in there as well. Um, and I think that likely we'll see Daigo play a, a bigger role. He was a, a great substitute uh, for this team in the first couple of games, and I'm, I'm surprised not to have seen him so far. But he doesn't yet have, he doesn't have that really, uh, that, that defensive presence that, that Kofi has. So Scott Caldwell will have to, you know, manage that by himself uh, with a lot of help from his defense. And he's up to that task. Uh, the other, the other, component there is we're also a red card down from Javon Watson, who got sent off the game before, and uh, he will also be serving a red card suspension. So we'll look for uh, Lennon Woodbury or Darius Barnes to, to step in on the right side. But So not our starting 11 this Friday night, but uh, you know, a capable 11. And certainly capable. I'm, I'm just kind of curious 
as we watch as the U.S. men are, are kicked off in Columbus against Guatemala. One player not on that squad, of course, is Jermaine Jones, who is also not on your squad anymore. Right. And it seemed like the entire offseason was a uh, an episode in frustration for your fans as they... Uh, as the team and uh, Jones kind of had it out in the national soccer press about how unhappy he was, and eventually he got dealt. What What is the fans' opinion of that whole flap? Because it, it certainly doesn't seem like his replacement is on the way anytime soon. Yeah, so the replacement, obviously, uh, we did sign a, a designated player in Xavier Kawasi to be that person who then promptly went out and blew his ACL. Uh, so... We are now, you know, um, that without Jermaine Jones, we're in a post-Jones era, and we now are, uh, I think, mostly the, the fan base is, you know, I think we're kind of happy with it. To, you know, I think there's still some holdouts there that wish Jermaine Jones was still part of this team because they like the name and they like the prestige that Jermaine Jones brought. But I think Jermaine himself um, was... was getting too old and wanted too much money for to be an effective player. And if you're going to be playing, you know, 18 uh, games a season and, you know, recovering, uh, serving a six game suspension and then serving, you know, playing 10 games with the national team, you know, that's a lot of money to be shelling out for a guy. So I think most of the Revs fans and the Revs faithful know that it was a, a big ask to bring Jermaine Jones back uh, for the money he was asking for. And they, Kraft family just wasn't going to do it. So I think, you know, given that I think we're all pretty much water under the bridge at this point, let's move on. Um, and, you know, the only time the Revs faced Colorado this year uh, were Jermaine Jones' new team, obviously, um, is September 3rd, which is also in the middle of a uh, a World Cup qualifying weekend. So we likely won't see Jermaine Jones then either. I just find that interesting when you think about, you know, Jones lives the high life out in L.A. with his family and his many kids. And I, uh, you know, I, I guess good for him that he was willing to stick up for himself and saying that this offer is ridiculous. I just find, I find it interesting that your fandom is like, yeah, OK, fine. He, you know, we're not going to have him for a lot of the year anyway. Let's just uh, we, we understand what we've got here and let's just move on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a numbers game here. Right. So let, and I think. The fan base is kind of divided. I mean, I think the majority of them understand, but there are some holdouts there that say, no, we should have him back. He was the best player we've ever had. You know, but I look at that and I say, okay, well, he didn't get us any goals or assists last season, and he only played 18 games. So, you know, if we had him for a full season guaranteed this year, then maybe, maybe we'd shell out that money. But he was going to be serving that six game suspension and, you know, World Cup qualifying and Copa America this summer. Yeah, I just didn't, I didn't think it was worth the, the money he was asking for. Hank, you, you touched on a little bit earlier in terms of the Revs attack right now, and obviously they had that three-goal outburst to start the season uh, against the Dynamo, but over the last three games they've had just the one goal last week against NYCFC. And you look at their roster, you know, the, the likes of Agadello and Teal Bunbury, you know, Diego Fagundes, Charlie Davies, the, the attacking talent is certainly there. What do you think is, is kind of styming the attack so far, and what needs to change for them to you know, start finding the back of the net? I think uh, the Revs have gotten kind of predictable in terms of their attack. Um, you basically know that they're going to come down wide and, and the, the guys are going to, if Chris Tierney has the ball, he's going to whip it in. If 
Diego Fagundes has the ball. He's going to cut in on his right and and bring it across the uh, the 18. So we need to bring back some unpredictability, really, uh, to this attack. And I think if you by integrating Juan Agudelo more into the attack and maybe moving a Diego to the right hand side um, or into a more central location, we might stimulate some of that. I, I, Diego is a uh, right now is a interesting problem for us, and as is Kellen Rowe, because both of these guys have the talent and they have they have the uh, ability to uh, create. But in their given roles where they are right now, I mean Lee Wynn is the is the maestro. He's the guy pulling the strings. So when you get Lee Wynn back there, he wants the ball. He wants it all the time. He's going to be the guy calling the shots. Um, but you know we put Kellen in that that position for Lee last game and. I wouldn't say it was an overwhelming failure, but it certainly didn't produce the results that we were hoping for. Um, so I look at, I put his, uh, a bit question mark next to Kellen Roll and his future with his team. Uh, to be honest, I, you know, we might be better served finding a, a trading partner for him and, and shipping him off to a, a spot where he might be able to uh, play a more central role on a more frequent basis. Hank, I feel like all the current revs, given the fact that your poor TP is done for the year. That's so horrible. Um, I feel like the team's a known quantity. Yeah. I mean, we know all these guys, much like the Red Bulls. Yes. I mean, you know, um, Heaps is going to know what he's going to face. These teams have really kind of heated up their rivalry, I think, over the last couple of seasons, which I think has been a good thing. Um, who who is the the best target to have kind of a breakout season with the understanding that these guys have are all kind of in place with the understanding obviously Kofi's a newcomer. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking uh for what I'm hoping for as a fan is that you know we get a, a really a great year from Charlie Davies. He was pretty solid during preseason and starting to really come into his own uh towards the end of last season then you know pulled on leg muscle somewhere or something along those lines and, and kind of slacked off towards the end of the season. But, you know, we need Juan Agadello to show up. And so, um, you know, as much as I would love for that to happen, I just don't know if he's fitting into Jay Heaps' scheme uh, the way that he did back in 2013 when he first joined this team and, and really sparked that offensive run towards the end of the season. Then if we can get that straightened out, um, you know, Charlie and, and Juan scoring goals, you know, I think most of the Revolution fan base would be happy. Well, when we talk revs, I guess we, we kind of inevitably have to talk about uh, Gillette Stadium. And as much as it's been a, a house of horrors for the Red Bulls, uh, I know it's not an ideal situation even for revs fans playing in a football stadium. You know, obviously a supporters, uh, I'm sorry, a soccer specific stadium is what you're looking for. Is there any kind of progress on that front? And what's the state of the revs fans in terms of uh, are they content with where they are right now? Or are they kind of chomping at the bit for change? Well, I'm, I think. The Revs fans are never content, and you know the the issue with the uh, with the stadium is, you know, we're we're kind of in a in a holding pattern until the team has something concrete. And if you know the Kraft family at all, you know they don't release anything until it's a done deal. That being said, I honestly, and I know I have probably said this the last three or four years, but I honestly feel that something is is done and is ready and is waiting for like. 
just somebody to notarize the paper. You know, and I, I honestly feel like it's it's closer than we've ever been to announcing this deal. And I, I feel like it's going to happen this year, but I've said that before. That being said, the fans are um, used to Detroit Stadium, and a lot of uh, we are missing out on a lot of f- potential fans in the greater Boston area. But attendance has been on the rise at Gillette, and if it gets any better, you know, then the Kraft family will say, "Well, why move? We're doing great here." Um, but I think everybody realizes that the the revolution need to have a a, uh, a better situation than they have right now, and a, and you know a smaller uh, soccer specific stadium downtown would be, you know, just the thing I think for uh, to really bring this team up to the limelight in the in the city, and and right now it's still the forgotten stepchild and is uh, is not considered when talking you know Boston sports. Yeah. Well, we we know that we know that story. <laughs> All right. So, listen, Hank. It's it's always great to talk to you. Um, I think Red Bull fans in general are kind of bummed that this match is on a Friday night. Yeah, same. And the April Fool's Day. Yeah. No well. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a choke on the loser for sure. Yeah. You know, just especially because I mean there is some distance, and I think Red Bull fans love coming up, spending yeah. some time in the Boston area, and then going to the match, and that that uh, will be will be tough. Um, your prediction for Friday night at, at Gillette Stadium, Red Bulls and Revolution. Wow. Um, well, you know, we always a tough matchup against the Red Bulls. You know, Sasha and, and Dax, uh, particularly our, our, our thorns in the side. Uh, given the state of the Revolution's defense and, um, you know, where they how they've been playing this year, you know, I expect a couple of sloppy goals. Uh you know, to be honest, my gut is telling me yet another draw for the Revs. I'm thinking two-two. All right, all right. I think Red Bull fans will certainly take a draw at uh, at New England, which has been in a house of horrors. And the U.S. Men's National Team has just gone ahead. All right. Of, uh, of Guatemala with a Clint Dempsey goal in the 11th minute. And I know if you're listening to this, you already know that. But we're very excited because this is happening right now live for us. Very, very exciting. Those kits are just awful, though. Okay, well, nevertheless, Hank, it's always good to end on a happy note. Uh, Hank Alexandra, who is the man behind the Midnight Ride podcast and uh, a good friend. And, Hank, we thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Hank. It's been a great, great episode of Seeing Red. We've had some news. We've had Anthony Merced, uh, and we've had Hank. Hank Alexander, kind of a little different uh, tune-up for Seeing Red. Seeing Red 250 is next week, and we will have details on that show as we come up. So uh, for Eric Giacometti, Anthony Merced, and Hank Alexander, thank you so much for listening. Big show next week. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Since 2010, your New York Red Bulls podcast. Find us at New York Red Bulls Radio and tune in. Backheel.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and seeingredny.com.